The blessedness of song is truly a rich blessing, isn't it? To be able to utilize our voices, and God has surely created us in a way to where the attribute of singing and the enthusiasm that goes along with it and the opportunity that's there also are certainly very encouraging to not only ourselves, but to all who are able to participate and hear that, that kind of singing. It's good to be back this evening, and as I promised you this morning, we would turn our attention tonight to dinosaurs to give some consideration to them, at least in relation to the Word of God. You may at first consideration suppose that there's little linkage or that there is little consideration worthwhile. For after all, the word dinosaur doesn't occur anywhere in the Bible. So what kind of biblical connection could there be? Well, I hope I can develop that in not one, not two, but ultimately three lessons. A brief series having to do with dinosaurs. This opening slide is, quite frankly, just a rather general and gentle introduction because, quite frankly, there is a very powerful place for some thoughts about dinosaurs as it relates to the bedrock of faith. There's a very common and thrilling consideration of dinosaurs. Now, quite frankly, as you turn your attention to many youngsters, they have a keen interest in dinosaurs. And quite often, they can roll these remarkably long names off their tongues, and they can tell you a lot about them, where they lived, and the kind of things they ate. And sometimes their weight, and their length, and various other kinds of factors relating to them. But at the very least, I would simply point out to you that one might well begin with a few pictures. And so, you encounter dinosaurs like Iguanodon, or you encounter dinosaurs like... Diplodocus, or you encounter dinosaurs like Tyrannosaurus, perhaps that one is the most familiar of all the dinosaurs. I would at least say this, in reflecting upon them, returning to that previous slide, the whole place of dinosaurs is such that, by and large, the most often occurring place you encounter them is in the weaponry, in the arsenal of those who are attempting to defend evolutionary biology. And the whole notion of evolution as the scientific community would typically present it. Now, I will offer this thought. You and I are going to use the Bible. We have really little interest in defending what a scientist might say. And so it's from that perspective that we will reflect for this lesson and the two that follow it on the nature, the notion again of these dinosaurs. Again, those pictures. It's easy to tell these animals were massive, at least many of them were. Now, it's not necessarily the case that all of them were. We will learn throughout the series some dinosaurs have been found that were fairly small, about the size of a chicken. Other dinosaurs, however, are extremely or were extremely large. The second one I listed, namely that one, consider the size of that animal. One that would weigh dozens of tons and that would perhaps be easily well over a hundred meters in length, or rather a hundred feet in length. Well, all of that is to say. There's much that we at least can consider in a brief way in the nature in the in the consideration of these dinosaurs. The first observation I would wish for us to make has to do with some basic thoughts that appear on that slide that's now before you. Now these general observations to some extent are expected 
to some extent, they are in no way shocking or unexpected. Dinosaurs are all about us, quite frankly. Go to a Dollar General store and you can easily find coloring books for youngsters and it'll be filled with pictures of dinosaurs. You can find toys in the toy department, replicas of which are like dinosaurs. You pull out books at, at, at libraries or search on the internet in vast storage places of pictures and facts and other things related to dinosaurs can easily be found. Open the textbook of some of your children who are in school and look at what the science book has to say and the pictures that are presented. And furthermore, the claims that are made. May I again say, it seems as though dinosaurs are all about us. So frequently and so often. But interestingly enough, in all of that, as I mentioned earlier, they frequently are a particular tool used by those of the scientific community wishing to defend evolutionary biology and wishing to defend that outlook upon the development of the particulars of this planet. Now again, we are not going to use dinosaurs for that purpose. You'll notice about the middle of that slide, one of the statements that frequently are made are these, that these dinosaurs evolved somewhere around 200 million years ago. And they basically ruled the planet for the next 135 million years. Now, as all of that happened, there were many, many varieties and kinds of dinosaurs. Some were smaller, others were far larger. Some of them ate only plants, whereas others were meat-eating dinosaurs like Tyrannosaurus. But however one looks at those particulars and the issues concerning them, may I say one last thing before we transition from that slide. One of the observations and one of the truths that at least frequently is mentioned is it is a discussion of dinosaurs that has played a role, that has been a factor in the abandoning of the faith by some who have given consideration to them. You could perhaps picture a youngster who grew up in a household in which there was relation to the Bible, and there was relation to the church, and then this youngster goes off to college in a, in a biology classroom, or in a history classroom, or in some other kind of, quote, religious classroom. There is usage and reference made to dinosaurs all of which are meant to provide a strong supporting foundation for the correctness of, of evolutionary biology. And this youngster is such that his or her faith is now destroyed. Now, that has happened on many occasions. I hope again that we will be able to use dinosaurs to defend our faith, not to destroy it. To encourage our faith, not to work against it. It is with those general observations in mind that we come to the first of three points for the evening. The first one is a rather powerful one that I've merely entitled existence. On occasion, you might encounter those who in the interest of defending the Word of God might be quick to say, there aren't any dinosaurs today. How do you know there ever were any? Were there ever any dinosaurs? Are or are these a figment of some scientist's imagination? What is basically presented that really never was. Well, we really do ourselves no justice 
if we make a claim like that. Dinosaur fossils have been found on all seven continents, North America and South America, Europe and Asia, Africa, Australia, and Antarctica, everywhere we have found an abundance of fossil evidence, quite often impressive amounts, that allude to the reality of dinosaurs. Dinosaurs existed. They roamed this planet, and they roamed it everywhere in all the locations and places in which we now appreciate. Not only that, we might even go so far as to say this. Those who have studied the surface of earth and who have studied places where these dinosaur fossils are found have found on occasion vast dinosaur graveyards. Now you might imagine an isolated fossil here or there, but in these graveyards there are hundreds and yea thousands of fossils in one localized placement in one little area. I've mentioned two, perhaps, of the most famous of these dinosaur graveyards. One of them is in Africa, in the country of Tanzania. Another is right here in the United States of America. Dinosaur National Monument. It is right on the border between Utah and Colorado, and dinosaur fossils there are in abundance. To say it that way, perhaps, is to remind us it is difficult at this point to look past pictures like this one. Here is an employee of the National Geographic Service. You might notice that as she sits on what looks like basically a rock formation, I realize you may be too far away from it to see the details. But let me point out to you, if you look closely, these are bones. These are fossilized bones, and please note how large they are massive bone structures, and they are here in abundance all over the place. Hard to thus make the claim there were no dinosaurs. Our youngsters who may visit places like this and who can visit a museum and see this replica of a dinosaur in place, you and I, in fact, would be laughed at, I suppose, if we try to tell the dinosaurs never existed. They did exist. The evidence is too abundant. As you give thought to pictures again, somewhat like that one, let's go back to the previous slide and say this. Some of these fossils of dinosaurs have been so impressive that not only are they the dinosaurs themselves, but the females, even the eggs, the fossilized eggs inside of them have been determined and discovered. And sometimes even the organs inside the dinosaurs have been preserved in a way that much detail has been gleaned. And we'll see some of that in another lesson. Actually, next Sunday night, I believe, is when that one will come. But at the very least, you and I might now revisit what one of the statements I made earlier. The word dinosaur does not occur anywhere in the Bible. If that be so, does the Bible reference them? Are there any verses that would at least allude to the reality and existence of them? First thing let me point out is this. You and I should not be surprised that the word dinosaur does not occur in the Bible that you and I are using. The Bible, the King James translation at least, was written in the early 1600s. Many of the other translations followed, of course, not that long thereafter. The word dinosaur was not coined until 1842. 
Well, over 200 years after the King James Version was put in, was put in place, I thought it might be beneficial to us to at least reflect somewhat on the origin of that word and the discovery of the first modern dinosaur fossil. The year was 1822. There was a British doctor named Gideon Mantell. Now, back at that time, doctors made house calls, and you probably remember not that long ago they still did, but as he was making a house call, he lived in Great Britain, and as he was making a house call, his wife went along with him, and while he was taking care of the patient, she made some observations of the roadway they had traveled leading to the place of this person's residence. She found something that was unusual. Now, her husband, Dr. Mantell, was also a bit of an amateur paleontologist. He looked for things, and he had found many things, but she showed him what she had found, and he had never seen anything like it. He, of course, quickly made reference to the British Museum and asked them what it might be, and they at first rejected any thought of a reference to an ancient large creature. But over the next 20 years... Other fossil evidence and abundance in character was discovered. And by 1842, it was relatively clear that there was a massive amount of evidence for these large ancient creatures, and it became accepted, and the word dinosaur was coined to describe these large creatures. The word dinosaur, as you can see, is a combination of two Greek references, or at least two Greek words, Dinos literally means very great. Saurus has reference to lizard. And so to put this together, these are terribly great lizards. You'll notice many of the dinosaurs do end with the word saurus. Megalosaurus, Argentinosaurus, and a whole host of others as well. Having at least reminded ourselves of the existence of dinosaurs... Why don't we give some thought to at least one generic picture before we look at another aspect or element of the truth about them. So here's again some artist's rendition of what at least could the world might have looked like at some point in which you recognize the existence of these large creatures which we do not seemingly see today. Now that next slide to which I referenced has to do with the timing. When did the dinosaurs live? How long ago was it? I've already mentioned that the evolutionist extensively makes use of the reference to time and makes this claim that under the matter of evolution, dinosaurs came to be around 200 million years ago. Again, note, 200 million years is again what we typically are told. However, you'll notice that it's quickly asserted that they became extinct about 65 million years ago. So that's again why we seemingly do not find anything like them today. No creatures this large, no creatures quite like this. Now as you look back to that slide, under the consideration of when did men evolve, as scientists would describe it, I've already highlighted the design. The dinosaurs, we're told, became extinct about 65 million years ago. Man, we are told, evolved about 2 to 3 million years ago. And thus, the observation is clear from the evolutionist standpoint. No human being ever saw a dinosaur. 
No human being even lived in close proximity to the time frame in which the dinosaurs were alive. According to them, mankind was separated from the dinosaurs by well over 60 million years. You could easily see if there was ever any evidence where a person actually saw one, if there's any evidence where a human being actually lived in the consideration of a time frame consistent with the appearance of the dinosaurs, all the evolutionary presentations are nonsense. That time frame could not possibly have been the case. Now, one last picture would be the so-called geologic time scale. A scale like this one will be plastered all over virtually every scientific textbook that has to do with the evolution, that has to do with biology, that has to do with the development of organisms on the planet. Now, I realize again that the wording is much too small for you to read in detail, but I was hopeful the pictures alone might be at least somewhat revealing. Under the presentation of that scheme, the very simple organisms of obviously are those that evolved first, according to them. And so, by way of pictures, you have little simple organisms living in the waters of the planet. But of course, over again, tens of millions of years, there was the development of whales and mollusks, and ultimately the mammals. Finally, you get ultimately to what we would recognize as dinosaurs up in this area. Large creatures. And again, by way of the time frame, we're looking at roughly 250 million years ago, so we're told. But notice, they died out giving way to things like elephants and ultimately human beings only about 2 million years ago. Now that geologic time scale, again, our students are typically expected to memorize at least portions of it, to be familiar with it, to be acquainted with it, and to be somewhat conversant with it. You can again see, according to them, no human being ever saw a dinosaur. In fact, no distant ancestor of any human being ever saw one. For that reason, some of the remaining lessons of our series will at least call upon us to reflect upon that claim in light of at least various pieces of evidence. The time scale to which we've referred has then brought us to the Bible record which clearly is our greatest interest in the matter of our discussion tonight. What about the biblical record as it relates to the appearance of the dinosaurs as well as to what other things the Bible has to say about them? That slide begins like this. The word dinosaur literally has reference to a land-dwelling, air-breathing creature. Now, it's true there were dinosaur-like creatures that may well have lived in the water, but technically they could not have been a dinosaur if they lived in the water. That word is reserved for land-dwelling, air-breathing creatures. As you and I revisit Genesis chapter 1, there certainly is an immediate conclusion that might be reached. You and I remember that on day 5, God created the animals living in the air and in the water fish and whales and others along that line. But it was not until day six that we find the land-dwelling creatures. By its very character, you and I then can conclude the dinosaurs would have been created by God on day six, which is the very same day that man was created. The very same day. 
meaning that from the biblical record, men did live with the dinosaurs. They coexisted at the same time on the planet. As you can easily tell, these two claims are worlds apart. The evolutionist says no human being ever saw one, them being separated by millions and millions of years. The Bible says they lived together on the planet having been made the same day. You and I know that both those things cannot be right. Both of them cannot be true. You and I will thus have an interest to reflect upon some of the features of what does the evidence, when looked at interestingly at least, have to share with you and with me. In Genesis chapter 1, if you would revisit the exact way the wording presents itself in verse 24, in reference to day number 6, God had this to say, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. You and I again notice these creatures are those described as having reference to being upon the earth. Namely, again, they didn't live in the waters. That's where the dinosaurs would have appeared. You may note then the next matter on the slide would be this. Inasmuch as the Bible asserts that dinosaurs and men lived together, you and I would not be surprised or in any way shocked if there was evidence suggestive of that. We will look in some detail at that in our lesson next Sunday evening. But for right now, I wanted you to look with me at several passages of the Bible that also have much to say about the statement of what this has just presented to you and me. In Exodus chapter 20, verse number 11, this was the lesson text that was read just a few minutes ago. In the course of that reading, could I invite you to note again the language? Admittedly, as Moses penned this and as he wrote this, this was in reference to the giving of the Ten Commandments, particularly in reference to commandment number four. You and I notice the following statement is made. They were told to remember the Sabbath day. They were told to ensure a sense of holiness connected to it. But then this identifying piece of information was given. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. Now there have been those who have attempted to sweep portions of that verse under the rug as if it really didn't mean precisely what it seems to say. But if I invite you to reflect upon it again, it carefully and clearly says in six periods that you and I call days, God fashioned earth and everything on it, and the heavens and everything in them, the sea and everything in it. That leaves out nothing. Now, you and I then cannot go back and claim that this development over millions and millions and millions of years, that cannot be consistent with six days. I understand that there has been a claim by many that those days of Genesis chapter 1 were not literal days as you and I would interpret them. That each one was a vast epoch of time. Maybe each one really was millions and millions of years so that 
the sum total would be consistent with evolution. That won't work. Not only for the reasons in connection to Exodus 20, but go back to the statement of Genesis 1. God defined what each of these days was. It says it had a morning and an evening. (laughs) Furthermore, you notice with me that in light of those days and the presentation of them, they are carefully numbered. The first day, the second day, the third day, and so forth. And in light of each one of them, with each one having an evening and a morning, it really does you no good in some respects. How did plants live for millions of years with no sunlight? How did they exist for untold amounts of time before the sun was created on day four? The plants were created on day three. For you see, you can't hold to the evolutionary standpoint even from that perspective. But I would point out here that God's definition of the day, His understanding to the people of Israel was this, I want you to keep the Sabbath day, which was day seven of the week, because in it He likened it precisely to the six days that God had labored and worked, and that He rested the seventh. Clearly there was a connection between the understanding of the day as it related to God's effort, and the day the children of Israel were to labor and also rest. That day was about 24 hours in length, not only in the times of Adam, but in the times of Moses. Maybe it's furthermore interesting to notice what else occurs. So in verse number 11 of Exodus 20, we have been told it was in six days everything was made. Look at you a few chapters forward. Exodus chapter 31, verse 17. In this passage, as again, Moses described various elements of truth to the children of Israel. It says, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. Now the context again is insisting on the children of Israel that they understand the nature of the day and that they do not labor on the seventh one. And he again makes a direct correspondence to God's activity during the creation week. Isn't it true that as one gives thought to them, we can even let Jesus join this discussion? In Mark 10, verse number 6, Jesus highlighted a beautiful truth as it related to things that took place at the beginning. He says, from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he was talking there about men and women, human beings. Did you notice the descriptive phrase that Jesus used? He said that they have been here from the beginning. That geologic time scale you and I just noted highlighted that men didn't evolve for millions upon millions of years after earth was here. Jesus said, that's not right. He said, from the beginning, men and women have been here. Now, you and I know that was Adam and Eve. Perhaps it's in light of that. We could add yet another passage, and this one speaks volumes in light of some of the details it presents. Would you turn with me to the opening chapter of the Roman letter? Romans 1, verse 20. In that place, we encounter this interesting passage and these truths. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
to reflect upon some of the points made in that verse. The invisible things of Him, that's God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. It seems to me interesting to note the thrust of that Greek word, clearly seen. I've asked you to note it on the slide. As the word understood was used by Paul, and as this appreciation of seen, being clearly seen, was presented by him, the idea was to perceive by way of the mind, with an element of awareness, with an understanding connected to comprehension. May I say, animals cannot do that. There is no animal that ponders upon observing and looking at something about the awareness connected to a perception. Only humans can do this. Paul said from the very beginning, people have been doing this. Humans didn't evolve millions and millions of years after earth was created. Humans didn't evolve millions and millions of years after other kinds of animals had long become extinct. From the very beginning, humans, by way of perception, were comprehending what God had done and what He was still doing by way of the nature of earth that was now in place. Paul, you see, was not an evolutionist. You might note in light of that too, that the bottom of it clearly draws a conclusion. The claims of the evolutionist. All of this time and all of the character presented in the fact that men and women never saw dinosaurs, you and I have at least begun to see that the Bible makes a far different claim. Dinosaurs did live with people. People thus did witness them and watch them and conclude concerning them. And there are some other passages in the Bible that will surely have much to say about all of that, and we will look at it certainly in due course with a fair amount of evidence. But for tonight, let's draw this lesson to its conclusion and do so with, with these very brief observations. Dinosaurs are fascinating. There's no question about that. Their size, their capability, the sheer magnitude of what went into them. And I would even say the physics that went into them is impressive. To think about the structural character of the bones and otherwise to hold up an animal that might have weighed a hundred tons. Now that's not a trivial enterprise, and yet our God did it. And He put in place a mechanism so that they could walk, in some cases run, and so that they could thrive on this planet of the long-distant past. Now, I say long-distant only from the perspective of we happen not to be seeing them today. The second observation just as surely as dinosaurs are the poster child of evolution. I hope you and I in this series can use dinosaurs with a defense of the truth, with a defense of biblical presentation, and we again will attempt to do that. Lastly, mankind did live with dinosaurs. And with that statement, we won't be surprised at various pieces of evidence that testify that dinosaurs did live in the recent past, not the distant past. And some of that evidence, I hope, will be re reaffirming of our faith and remindful of the correctness in every way of the truth presented in the Bible. Tonight, I hope as we conclude this lesson, that our faith is strong and our faith is worthwhile in that we have not allowed men and the claims of men to call into question what the Bible says. 
You and I just noted a moment ago that Jesus made reference to the creation and used it as a plank in defense of marriage. May I say, the things we're discussing are not idle. If you're able to call into question the book of Genesis, as if maybe it's a story, not really correct factual history, but only a story, why can't I call other parts of the Bible into question? Why can I not call the book of Mark into question and so destroy the Bible's teaching about marriage? You see, if the book of Genesis is allowed to fall, in many ways one can find at least odd justifying ways for other books in the Bible to be discounted as well. You and I aren't in that business because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Notice He said all of it. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. This evening... If there would be anyone in this assembly that would like to make a public response to the gospel's call of invitation, we'd like you to know that it's a convenient time. It's a wonderfully acceptable time because today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. And we'd be delighted to assist and to help in whatever way we might be able to do that. To become a Christian, you must make the evidence of faith in this way. Believe upon the Lord, repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If upon doing that you have walked away from the faith, you have allowed sin to encroach into your life and to dominate, at least in some way, you realize you need to make a change to repent, to confess those errors, and to allow the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood to forgive them. We could assist and do that tonight. We just need you to know to let us help you in the way that you should tell us. Right now, Brother Don has selected a song of encouragement, and if you would wish to come, we invite you to do that while together we stand and while we sing.